Well, we're back. This podcast is being taped on the campus of Texas A&M University. It's a beautiful day in January in College Station, Texas. In this session, we're going to cover the ACOG Obstetrical Care Consensus, which is the consensus number eight, regarding maximizing interpregnancy care in order to get great maternal and neonatal outcomes. This is a consensus panel from January of 2019. Efforts to reduce maternal morbidity have led to an increased focus on improving maternal health before a future pregnancy and across the lifespan. One proposed intervention is improving interpregnancy care. Now, this has long been understood to help improve neonatal outcomes, but the role of interpregnancy care recently has been recognized for its role in maternal health as well. Interpregnancy care is the care provided to women of childbearing age who are between pregnancies with the goal of improving outcomes for women and infants. Well, why does interpregnancy interval care even matter? Well, it matters because interpregnancy intervals are linked to adverse pregnancy outcomes. So let's review that. Women should be advised to avoid interpregnancy intervals. Remember, that's the end of one to the beginning of another that are shorter than six months and should be counseled about the risks of having a repeat pregnancy sooner than 18 months. Most of the data from observational studies in the U.S. have suggested a moderate increase in the risk of adverse outcomes associated with intervals of less than 18 months and are the highest risk when the interval is less than six months. Now, we also have to say a word about interdelivery interval. That's the time from one delivery to the next because that relays and has special implications for women undergoing a trial of labor after cesarean. Interdelivery intervals of less than 18 months and in some studies up to 24 months have been associated with increased risk of uterine rupture among women undergoing trials of labor after cesarean. Now, interestingly, however, interpregnancy intervals of greater than 5 to 10 years may also be associated with increased risks of adverse outcomes. So in other words, getting pregnant too fast and then waiting too long to get pregnant again are both unwise decisions. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Of course, we have to say a quick word about identifying depression in the postpartum period and maximizing its care before the next pregnancy. All women should be screened for depression in the postpartum period and then as part of the well woman care during the interpregnancy interval. Depression screening should be implemented with systems in place to ensure accurate diagnosis, effective treatment, and appropriate follow-up. Postpartum depression screening also may occur at the well-child visit with procedures in place to accurately convey the information to the maternal care provider. 
perinatal depression and anxiety affect one in seven women. So that's a clinical pearl. Perinatal depression and anxiety affect one in seven women, and this can have devastating consequences for both the woman and her children. Screening for symptoms with a validated instrument like the Patient Health Questionnaire 9 or the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale is recommended by the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force as well as ACOG. Additionally, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends postpartum depression screening at the time of well-child visits at 1, 2, 4, and 6 months of age. The interpregnancy interval is especially important in women who have experienced a premature birth, especially if their child remains in the neonatal intensive care unit. It's at this time when screening for depression really becomes valuable. Now, for women who delivered early, OBGYNs and other obstetric care providers should obtain a detailed medical history of all previous pregnancies and offer women the opportunity to discuss the circumstances that led to that preterm birth. Ideally, this would occur within the first six to eight weeks of delivery in order to facilitate record review and accurate information gathering. A suggested plan for management of subsequent pregnancies can also be made, and that can include 17-alpha hydroxyprogesterone or cervical cerclage or cervical length surveillance based on current available evidence, and this should be provided to the patient and documented in the medical record. Now, women with a history of preterm birth, whether indicated or spontaneous, are at increased risk of recurrence and at risk of longer-term maternal morbidity. So that's a clinical pearl. Not only does preterm birth carry a risk of recurrence, but a prior preterm birth is associated with an increased risk of subsequent cardiovascular disease in the mother. Also, remember that women with prior preterm birth should be counseled that short interpregnancy intervals may increase the risk of recurrent preterm delivery even more. Lastly, the college states that given insufficient evidence of benefit, screening and treating asymptomatic vaginal infections in the inner pregnancy interval in women who are at high risk of preterm birth is just not recommended. All right, when we come back, let's focus on two pregnancy diagnoses that have huge implications for a woman's overall health. Let's focus on two pregnancy conditions that have large implications for the woman's overall health status, gestational diabetes and hypertensive disorders in pregnancy. Risks of both of these conditions, of course, are magnified by being overweight or obese. Women with GDM have a sevenfold increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes. These patients need to have a two hour oral glucose tolerance test from four to 12 weeks postpartum and then every one to three years following that initial screening. Similarly, women with preeclampsia and even gestational hypertension have a twofold risk of subsequent cardiovascular disease. The goal should be weight reduction, if applicable, in the inner pregnancy interval, and the goal should be to keep blood pressure under 120 over 80. All right, now, sorry, ladies, but we have to bring up a very sensitive subject. We've got to talk about getting rid of that 
post-pregnancy weight gain. Post-pregnancy weight retention and gain have been associated with subsequent adverse obstetrical consequences like gestational diabetes, hypertensive disorders, stillbirth, large for gestational age neonates, cesarean delivery, longer-term obesity, and possibly even congenital anomalies. Reduction of BMI between pregnancies is associated with improved perinatal outcomes, which makes achieving the ideal body weight an important component of interpregnancy care. As we wrap up the podcast, remember that the ACOG reminds all healthcare providers to discuss and assist in choosing the ideal contraceptive agent for each patient based on their past history, patient preference, and side effect profile. Remember, the World Health Organization Medical Eligibility Chart is a wonderful free online resource for choosing the best fit for each patient, especially when medical conditions are present. Well, that wraps up our quick summary and synopsis of the ACOG Obstetrical Care Consensus Number 8, dealing with the interpregnancy interval. The reference for this was the January 2019th edition of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls. Mm-hmm.